Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Welcome, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the worship time. Um, uh, hey, you know, I'm... I, I know I'm being redundant by saying, but I'm kind of sick of this, uh, but I'm glad that you have joined us, and if you're going to be joining us a little bit later uh, during the week, then uh, welcome. We are glad that you're here. Thanks so much uh, for joining in. Looking forward for the time for us uh, to, to meet together. Now, for those of you who uh, don't know, we do have three prayer meetings during the week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, and Thursday. Uh, if you want the Zoom invitation, it is on the newsletter that we, we have, we put out. Uh, if you want to be put on the reminder every day, then please contact the church. The more people we have out to prayer, it is great. So, um, I have found, as we, we continue to swim through this, uh, uh, this pandemic in, uh, to the last day of, of January, into, the, into continuing into 2021, I'm reminded of um, something that I learned very early in life, and perhaps this resonates with you. And I found this about myself as I try to keep uh, myself strong and uh, I try and keep myself fit, uh, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. I found this, and perhaps you can relate to this, that the times when life gets most complicated, what I have to do many times is to return to the simpler things. Uh, that sometimes life gets so erratic, sometimes it gets so out of control, that in those times, those are the, those are the moments that I have to stop and be reminded of, again of the things that caused me to fall in love with Jesus to begin with. The foundation stones, that's kind of why they are called foundation stones, the things we kind of, uh, we kind of hold on to. And um, there was a time I remember when um, uh, I was pastoring here uh, as a youth pastor a, a couple of decades ago, and I kind of left that to plant a church. And um, planting a church, the romantic aspect of planting a church is great, but you soon learn after a while that they, that they don't just ask you to be the pastor, uh, that you are also the janitor, uh, you are also sometimes the worship leader, uh, you are also the treasurer, and you are the secretary. And so I'm kind of putting all these hats on and off and, and trying to reach a community that God had called me to. And I remember distinctly a time where I had kind of said to myself, this is not fun anymore. As a matter of fact, I would just like to get out. And I was at that point where I was just saying, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And so what happened was I sat uh, down with a, an older and wiser pastor and he asked me a simple question. Are you doing those things? Are you realizing those things that you did right at the beginning, those things which caused you to fall in love with Jesus in the beginning? Are you, are you continuing to read your Bible regularly? Are you continuing to read? Are you kind of keeping a Sabbath? Are you doing all these things that, are, that, are, that seem elementary? But when all of a sudden life gets overwhelming, they become the things that you end up holding on to. And from then, that caused me to realize that in times when you go through the most difficult those are the times when you need to take a look at some of the more simplistic things. And I believe that this happens as a church and it happens as a group. It happens corporately as well. And sometimes we just need to get back to the simpler, the, the more important things. The, the greatest truths are not just something that we hold on to, but 
that which holds on to us. Because if you don't, you suffocate. You suffocate under the, the complexity, under the worry, under the, the uh, continual schedule, uh, all of the things that begin to topple on top of yourself, the hopelessness, the, and you begin to forget the foundations. You forget to, you forget to realize all of the good things that God has for us, that he is a great and awesome, unthinkable God, which is so incredibly awesome. Yet in the midst of that, he still cares for us individually. And perhaps the most profound, the most simple and yet profound way that he shows that in scripture is through a metaphor seen in Psalm chapter 23 of a, of a shepherd and a sheep. And, and this is seen throughout scripture. Uh, it's seen in Jeremiah. It's seen in Ezekiel. Read Ezekiel chapter 34. A number of times in the Psalms, throughout the New Testament, it talks about it. And Abraham was a shepherd, and Isaac was a shepherd, and Jacob was a shepherd, and, and Moses, for a time, tended his father-in-law's flock, and David, of course, was a shepherd. And so you kind of see this similarity in here. And so we ask, how, how is that talking to us today? Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the goodness of God. That in through the, the, the 23rd Psalm, God kind of shows in different ways his goodness towards us. And, and last week, we, we talked about the fact that there are three distinct transitions, which say something specific to us at certain times of our life. But today, what I'd like to do is I would like to see how Jesus attaches himself to this Psalm and the whole analogy, the whole metaphor. And it's found in, in James chapter, or sorry, James, in John, the Gospel of John um, chapter 10. So let me just kind of read that with you. You can follow along if you have your Bible app then, or your Bible, then, then please feel free to, to read along with me. It says this, uh, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up the other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. And verse 4 says, And when he uh, brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse 7 goes on and says, And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I will be, sorry, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not before, or thief uh, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And I've come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, uh, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known, uh, I have known them by name. And as the Father knows me, so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It continues to go on, but for, for um, this, the sake of trying to keep things contained here, I'm just going to read that particular passage of Scripture. Now, for those of you uh, who may not know, uh, 
In the book of John, there are, <coughs> excuse me, seven instances in the book of John and only in the book of John does it mention these. They're called what's called the I am statements where Jesus emphatically states something. And if you take a look at the original language, and I know that I have mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating. The actual Greek word for I am is ego, emi. Ego means I. Emi says I am. And so if you were to read it and understand it in the Greek, it would say this, I am. It's a statement of exclusivity. I am these things. And so the incredible thing about this particular passage of Scripture, and there are seven in the book of John, is that two of them are mentioned in this particular passage of Scripture. He says, I am the good shepherd. But it also says, I am the door. And it's mentioned in reference to a sheep uh, and shepherds. And so this is kind of an important thing. If all of a sudden you see two I am statements, you're saying, hey, this is, this is something that Jesus is emphatically saying. To understand this passage, you need to take a look at um, the context. And the context is something like this. Now, um, we are used to reading scriptures in terms of chapters and verses. But when, when John was written, it didn't have chapters and verses. That didn't happen until about the year 1611 when King James uh, decided to uh, commission the writing of the New Testament. And he added these chapters and these verses. And sometimes the mistake we make is that when all of a sudden they get into a new chapter, it kind of is a new thought. But this isn't the case here. If you get a chance to look at the context, you'll see in John chapter 9 that there was a man who was born blind. And Jesus heals him. He kind, of, he kind of puts mud on his eyes, and as he washes it out, this person who was born blind can see. Now, what had taken place was the Pharisees found this out, and they weren't too happy. And they weren't too happy for uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, the one reason was is it happened on the Sabbath, and, and uh, the Sabbath they thought as so separate and holy that nothing good even could happen. You just kind of did nothing on the Sabbath, and, 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 and this was something which was a tremendous event that happened, but because it happened on the Sabbath, they weren't too happy. But even more so, um, at that time, you'll read in, in John chapter 9 that as they're confronting the parents, because they didn't believe him, they go to the parents, and the parents said, hey, Yes, he is our son, and yes, he was born blind, but he can speak for himself. The reason that they said that is because the scripture says that the Pharisees were kicking out of the synagogue anybody who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, if you look at some of the Old Testament passages of scriptures, one of the things that was an indication of who the Messiah would be was the fact that he healed the blind. Now, the Pharisees knew that, and so they didn't really want to believe this. So instead of trying to, to negotiate with the scripture, which was obvious, what they wanted to do is they wanted to defunct the miracle. This really didn't happen. You don't know what you're talking about. And in this particular passage of scripture, there's that famous verse where the blind guy says this. He says, I'm not too sure uh, how you are determined who this Jesus character is, but this is what I know. I once was blind, and now I see. And so, of course, uh, after a, a short discourse, they, they dis, dis, uh, disqualified him from, from being part of the temple worship. And Jesus talks to him and, and exposes the fact that he is the Messiah. So that tension is where Jesus begins to speak. And he uses a term, the Old Testament term is, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or most assuredly, I say unto you. Basically, it is a way that Jesus says, listen up. This is important. 
And what he does is he goes into a discourse about a sheep and a shepherd again. It's seen throughout scriptures. But what he does is he adds himself into the equation here. And what he does is he, he shows this. And the reason that he shows this is because he sees the, the metaphor. And, and people will be able to relate to the fact that, that Psalm 23 says that the Lord is my shepherd. But not only that, people very much at that particular culture understood what it was like to have sheep. As a matter of fact, there is, um, there is uh, in this, this particular time, and this is important to understand, there were two different types of what was called sheepfolds or kind of sheep corrals, that, as you would say. There was one that was in the city. The one that was in the city was kind of like the communal gathering where the sheep, when they came in from the end of the day from, from uh, herding the sheep in the wilderness, they would come and they would all come into this communal area where all the sheep would gather and there would be a, uh, there would be a what would be a, a gatekeeper, a security guard for, for lack of a better term, who would be the one who would watch over this, this uh, walled-in area so that uh, the sheep, the shepherd could... Um, be able to just have a rest and they would get up in the morning and the, she- the, uh, the doorkeeper would understand them and then you begin to ask, oh, well, if there's like six different, different uh, herds here, how do they determine uh, what they're like? Well, the distinct ability of sheep is this, that they really can understand the voice or the call of a shepherd. And so what had happened, a shepherd, a shepherd would begin to call and his sheep would come out. And so there was the in-town communal, there was the in-town pen. But that wasn't the only place. There was also a communal or a fold that many times was located in the pasture. And these were used, and it, wasn't, it was a more of a makeshift than perhaps one that would, you would have in, in the town. But it was kind of a covering. It was a boundary that they had made up. And uh, it would be a protection time in case you couldn't get back to town or in case you were far enough away that you were going to stay out of uh, and pasture these uh, sheep for, for a number of days. And there was kind of this like, this like middle of the night place that you stayed. And the, the one main difference between that communal and that, that sheepfold and the other one was that that sheepfold did not have a door. And what happened was the shepherd would camp himself there. So a sheep could not go out, or a wolf or a predator could not go in unless it actually stepped over the shepherd. And I would imagine, lying on the ground, it probably wouldn't get, sleep too soundly. And, um, and so there was two. Well, why is this so important? Well, if you look at this passage of Scripture in, in John chapter uh, 10, the first six verses... Jesus is talking about the first one. After verse 6, in 7 and continuing, he is talking about the other one. And so uh, this is kind of the, the um, area that they begin to talk about. And so Scripture talks and mentions some important things here about Jesus as he connects himself to the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. Um, what he does is he basically says, I am the good shepherd. But in that process, he also reveals that he is the true shepherd. And then from there, he uses the second I am statement where he says, I am the door or I am the gate, depending on which interpretation of uh, uh, translation of the scripture you're, you're, you're looking at. First thing he says is that he's good. I'm the good shepherd. We kind of learned that over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? 
he's good and that he, he makes us lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters, he restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He, he, he helps us and defends us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death and he makes, us, he makes us a meal and he protects us and our cup overflows. All these wonderful things which talk about um, the goodness of God. But Jesus kind of takes things a step further. He says, I know my sheep. I know them by name. He intimately knows every single person who loves him. That's a comforting thing, don't you think? But not only that, he says, I love my sheep. And he says this, I lay myself down for the sheep. As a matter of fact, if you look at that passage of scripture, there are four different occasions where Jesus actually says, I lay myself down for the sheep. I am going to die for the sheep. He says in a couple of verses, or a couple of chapters later, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. How can, you, how can you exhibit, how can you display love other than that? That is the fullest degree of love. Now, if you take a look at that passage of scripture, and he says that I lay my life down for the sheep, that word for is kind of an interesting word. It basically means hue pair. Is the term, and it basically is talking uh, about the fact that um, for means in place of. It means it means instead of it. And why is that important? Because it talks about the fact that he's giving himself for as a substitution for the sheep. It's it is what is known in the theological world as vicarious atonement. That Jesus died instead in place of our sin. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd because he actually gives his life for the sheep. The other thing is this, is that basically he says, I'm the true shepherd. Just take a look at the, the very first verse that he's talking about in chapter 10. He says, verily, verily, truly, I'm telling you, anybody who comes in other than through the door is a thief. And the thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Like there are, for a sheep, there were three enemies. There was the predator, there was kind of like the, the lion and the bear and the, and the, the wolves who would try and, and catch a free meal from the, the shepherd. There were also people. There were people who would climb the wall during the evening and they would hand the shepherd over to a friend. And then there would, would, be, would be what we call sheep rustlers. Those who would try and take action and steal the ship, sheep while they were um, in the pasture. And if you look closely... At this particular um, passage of scripture and Jesus is talking, he basically talks about three different types of people or three different types of agendas. The first one is the thief. He kind of comes right out and says, hey, the thief, it comes not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And it has a spiteful agenda. A thief will leave you with less than what you are. It will take away from you and, and take away all the things that were intended for you. It was a sheep that uh, had that, what we were, sorry, a, a thief, they would have what was called a spiteful agenda. But then if you take a look again in verse five, Jesus says the shepherd aren't gonna re recognize, the, the, the sheep are not gonna recognize the voice of a stranger. Well, a stranger is a little bit different from a thief, and sometimes a shepherd is a thief, and sometimes a shepherd will, or sorry, I, sometimes a stranger uh, will have uh, bad thoughts in mind, but many times and sometimes they don't. There's a reason why. Um, when I was a father, 
And when uh, I have kids and hold my kids, and what our kids are going to say to their kids is this, don't talk to strangers. Why? Because we really don't know what their agenda is. We don't know whether they're good or whether they are bad. They have a suspicious agenda. Thief has a, a spiteful agenda. The stranger has a suspicious agenda. And then as he goes on at the end, he mentions a third agenda. He talks about the hireling, or what's called the hired hand. Right? The hired hand. Ultimately, at the end of the day, um, will not give his life for the sheep. Because he has what we will call a selfish agenda. That when it comes down to it, it is all about him. We have met uh, hirelings. We have met hired hands. We have seen hired hands in our community. We have seen hired hands in our church. I have known a number of people who would be considered hired hands in, in ministry. It's, at the end of the day, it's not about ministry. It is uh, about them, and, and it's about the accolades, or perhaps it is about the money, or whatever the case. And, and when we get right down to it, um, we are all hired hands because we don't lay down our, our, ourselves for the sheep like Jesus does. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, don't go with those times where, where perhaps you might be tempted to listen to the voice of the thief or to listen to the voice of the stranger because the stranger might be sincere, but they might be sincerely wrong. And don't listen to the voice of the higher hand. Listen to the sure agenda. That Jesus basically says, hey, I'm the one that you need to go to. I am the true shepherd, and, and, and this is how you're going to know. And I'm going to be the way, and I'm going to be the one who will be able to take you out. Um, which leads to the, the last thing, this, which he says is this. He says, I'm the door. I am the avenue. And again, he says this, ego ami. He says, I am the door. It is a declaration of saying, there is no other door but me. Later on, a few chapters later, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Read on a little bit further into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's basically saying, I am going to be the only avenue where you are really going to find peace. When you think of a door, when you think of a gate, it, it kind of will bring up a whole bunch of thought. It talks about being about defense uh, from the evil. When it talks about entry, it talks about opportunity, and all of these could apply. But as I was thinking about uh, a door, a door is the only real legitimate way to enter a house. If I were to come and visit you one day, and as I am walking up your driveway, before I get to the front door, I kind of see you and your family from your kitchen window. And so I sit there and say, hey, and so I, I forget about the front door, and I begin to climb up, and I, I begin to, to, to kind of open, pry open the door and fumble my way and fall on the floor from the, from the, uh, the counter and say, hi, how's it going? You're going to sit there and say, what has gotten into your head? Good to see you, Pastor Mike. You just broke my, my faucet. It's going to cost $250. So if you could please leave that or leave that, that amount before you go, it is great to see you. Well, that's crazy to do that. And when doing that, I would think that I was crazy. The old legitimate way is through the front door. And 
that's how you realize it. And, and Jesus is actually saying something. If you want peace, if you want the joy that you're looking for, those of you Pharisees that are, that are listening here into this conversation, I am the only door that you are going to have where real peace is going to be uh, available. And um, a lot of times we understand that scripture and we think of it in terms of long term. Well, of course, you know, when I die, Jesus is going to be the only hope for me to get into heaven. But the scripture goes further than that. The only way you're going to have peace in this life as well. Hey, the thief, he's here to steal. He's here to kill. He's here to destroy. Verse 10. But I have come that you might have life to the full. You might have life more abundantly. Not just in heaven, not just a number of years ahead. You just don't think, accept Jesus and say, if I can just hold on, then I'll really have peace in eternity. No, he's talking a whole lot more. He's talking about here and now, God moving and ministering in our life. And sometimes that doesn't stick with us. Sometimes we forget and sometimes we stray. And um, God is saying, in sheep vernacular, this is where you'll have peace. This is where we will have it all together because ultimately I am the good shepherd. It's kind of like the equivalency of coming home. You ever gone through a difficult day and everything has gone wrong? We have a tendency to call them Murphy's Law uh, days. And if your name is Murphy or your last name is Murphy, then please don't take offense. It's just kind of the saying. And that... There's something about home, don't you think? And for those of you whose home was not peaceful, I feel, I feel bad for you because I believe that this is what the intention was, that there is a place for peace, that there is a place in the middle of all this confusion and all of this added um, junk that is in our life where Jesus says, you can find it here. You can find it with me. And I am absolutely amazed at how human nature craves love just some type of support some type of love exhibited in any way there is um if you ever get the chance there's an individual her name is hannah hannah brencher and um perhaps you have heard her name uh, maybe not um she actually is on if for those of you who listen to ted talks uh, online uh she has a ted talk which is about four and a half minutes long. It would be worth you listening to that four and a half minute talk. And in it, she describes her ministry. She said, you know, my mom never ever really believed in, um, in uh, social media or cell phones. So anytime I was going to be able to interact with my mother, uh, while all my friends were kind of sitting and, and instant messaging their parents, she said, I had to wait by the post office, by the mailbox, to, to be able to communicate with uh, my mom. And I uh, never really thought too much of it until all of a sudden I moved to, um, after college, university, I, I moved to New York City. And, and she says, I was sucker punched by depression. She said it was the lowest of lows, and she says it was those times where all of a sudden I would get this letter in the mail where my mom would just begin to breathe words of life through her letters to me. And she said, what I decided to do is I began to write anonymous letters, and I used to leave them throughout all of New York. I would put them in subways. I would put them in libraries. I would put them everywhere I could find this letter. 
just to encourage people who were a lot like me. And as she began to do this and as this began to build in popularity, she kind of had this little small blog and she said, hey, if anybody wants and needs a letter of encouragement, I'll write it. So she signs off the internet and then the next day, I believe, how the story goes, there were 400 people who requested a letter. She said, over the next year, I write these 400 letters out to people who are discouraged, those who are being bullied, those who are, who are in the midst of abuse, or whatever the case may be. After that, that gave birth to a, a ministry and to a website which she called More Love Letters. And, and as that had taken place, all of a sudden she needed 11 writers to be able to help her to write all the letters. And then from there it grew to, to people uh, throughout the country who would, who would write letters. And, and all of a sudden there would be people who would be nominated to write a letter to them. And they would, they would almost letter bomb them with it. There would be a stack of letters that would go to individuals who were, who were um, going through desperate situations. And all of a sudden would hear from a stranger that they cared for, that they were loved, and that, and that they need to keep on. They need to be encouraged to go ahead. And it was... It was those words of love. You see, you can't hold on really to an email. But there's something that happens when you actually go and buy a stationery and you write a letter and you think of that individual during the whole time that you write that letter. Um, I, I put together um, one of the letters, there's something, it wasn't the original letter that she wrote, but there's one that I kind of caught and wrote down as they were, they were reading it. It says this, and on the outside of the letter it says, if you find this letter, it's for you. It says, whoever finds this letter, it's been nearly five years since a letter like this turned my world around, upside down. I moved to New York City right after college and didn't expect uh, something like depression would meet me on the city streets. And that's the thing about depression, though. Uh, you don't get to tell when it comes and goes. It's an illness. That depression came to, to meet me. And to cope, I started to write letters to strangers of the city. I started leaving them across Manhattan. I filled them with stories and questions and hopes and all the words that I could not give myself at the age of 22. Those letters spiraled into something so much larger than me, so much bigger than a girl that was writing and leaving letters with strangers, just because her mother had once did the same for her. That is always the most beautiful part of the story, though, when the story stops being all about you, and it, ha and it, and it has because uh, to become the story that belongs to so many others. I spent a year writing letters to anyone who emailed me. Those hundreds of letters laid foundation, which is now a community of thousands of ordinary people writing to someone who needs encouragement. It's called More Love Letters, the place on the internet where you can hear the stories of strangers and write to them. Your letter will be one of hundreds that will show up at the door at the time when they need a push, a nudge, a reminder to keep going. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need a reminder today to keep fighting. You deserve the good things for your life. It sounds too simple, but it is amazing the number of people who believe that for other people but not for themselves. You deserve them too, all the good things. Don't settle. Don't give in. The world needs you. Don't quit. As a result, I believe the website, since 2010 or around there, has written over a quarter of a million letters to people. It's just something about the fact that we need to hear the words, especially in the most difficult times in our life. I remember um, 
I have so many stories in my head. I'm not too sure if I've ever told this one. Um, for those of you who are a little bit longer in the tooth, there was a song probably in the 70s, uh, I would say late 70s, by a group which was called Tony Orlando and Don, and it was called uh, um, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. And, and um, the story behind it was interesting. It was based on a story that had come out of the Civil War and it was of an individual who was in the Civil War and found himself in, in uh, Andersonville prison. And, and uh, he had to travel after, after the war, after he was let out of prison from the, from the war. I think it was three years that he was in prison. And, and, and when you're in a prison of war camp, they don't, they don't ask you to write letters and they don't deliver letters for you. And so three years goes by and uh, there was a girl that he was in love with and he began to realize and has this self-doubt of all this taking place that well, probably after three years, she found someone else. So in a, an era of desperation or just inquiry or not too sure what to do or how to go, I don't want to invade this girl's life after, after being gone for three years, not even writing a letter to her. She probably thinks I'm gone. She probably thinks I'm dead. It very well may be that she's with someone else. So what he does is he decides to write down a letter to her and, and explain the situation. And he says, you know what? I don't want to in any way um, take away from your life. If you've gone on, then I can certainly understand that. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you still remember me. Maybe there's still something there. So as the coach goes by, uh, I'll be riding by in this particular day and if you could take like a yellow handkerchief or you could take like a yellow ribbon and, and if you tied it around the tree, then I know that you want me. I know that you still, I know you still want me. Um, but if you don't, I'll understand. I understand the way things are. And so the stagecoach will just continue to go and I will continue on in the life and wish you the very best. So all of a sudden the day comes and, uh, and the, they're driving and he has told the, the party that is in the stagecoach with them what is taking place and they're about to come to the property, come around the bend to where this property is and, and he says, I can't look. Can you, can you please, can you please tell me if, um, if the band, there's a yellow handkerchief or something on the tree, something that looks like a handkerchief. And, and so he just kind of puts his head down, looks away hoping, praying, I'm not too sure exactly. And all of a sudden, he just hears shouting and laughter. And he looks up and he sees this tree, this old oak tree. And there's like thousands of ribbons all around this oak tree. I don't know, add to the story, probably the dog had a, a ribbon tied around it, running around. And, and, and just the thought, and you stop and consider that. Yeah, I'm still loved. Yeah, I'm still appreciated. Yeah, there's someone who still loves me in the world, even though I've gone through the most difficult situation, or, or maybe even now going through the most difficult situation. But if we take a look at Scripture, and if you take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible, which is God's love letter to us, it basically says, but God commends his love toward us. Then while we were yet sinners, undeserving, Christ died for us. What an incredible thought. His goodness is running after me. We sing that song. 
Well, where does that seem in Scripture? Well, it says in Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The greatest truth is not something we hold on to, but that which holds on to us. And if I could encourage you to do one thing, is to hold on to the truth. Hold on to the foundation stones. Because that's the thing that will get you through. The sureness of God's word. The things that you did that caused you to fall in love with Jesus to begin with. Father, we live in absolutely complicated times. But if I could say one thing to this crowd or whoever you have put in place to hear this message, it is this. That God, you love them deeply and intimately. And that God, you have a plan for us, even in the confusion, even if my life or our life or whose life, ever life is upside down, God, you are there, you are working, you are moving, you have never left. And so God, we come back to you. We refuse to listen to the voice of the thief who wants to leave us less than what we were. We're not gonna listen to the voice of the shepherd. We're not too sure what's going on there. We're not gonna listen to the hired hand, God. We're gonna come to you. And I just pray for your blessing. I pray for your anointing. I pray, Father, for the welling up of love that comes from knowing you to be on each and every person who hears this message today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Glenn. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.